This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird, Inc. Robin Shawokas has the week off. This week I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I got to spend some time with Sid Price from Avian Ambassadors. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Well, I'm here with Sid Price. He's the president-elect of the IAAT, which is the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators, and also the owner of Avian Ambassadors. Welcome, Sid. Hi, Barbara. So some of you may be following Sid's blog out there, and he's also very active on uh, many Yahoo groups that some of you might be participating in about flight and about avian training in general. He's also on the Good Bird Yahoo group. So you may be very interested in what Sid has to say about training. So first of all, we want you to get to know Sid because you may not know his background. So Sid, tell us a little bit about how you got into the animal business. Goodness, it's a long journey. I started out my career in the entertainment business, uh, designing equipment and uh, working on some major musical shows. In fact, if you go to see The Lion King in New York these days, you'll get to hear some of the equipment I designed quite a few years ago, still in use there. When I moved from Great Britain, which is where I was born, out to the U.S., uh, I got involved with a wildlife park and began working with the animals there just on a volunteer basis. And 
because of my experience in the entertainment industry, I found myself doing public presentations with those animals and really got hooked on, on the public education aspects of that, but also fascinated uh, with training the animals and figuring out how to, how to get the animals to participate willingly in the presentations that we had. So that's how I got into it. And when I met my first birds, they were raptors, uh, Harris hawk. Uh, I really got hooked with birds in educational programs. Didn't you also work with some mammals? I seem to recall you worked with a large cat. Yes, yes. I, I, I started out with mammals. I, I, the, the very first animals that I worked with was a beautiful little gray fox. I worked with her for a couple of years doing programs. Uh, and then after that, I worked with a bobcat. But the animal you're referring to is a mountain lion, a cougar. I spent almost two years doing outreach into schools with the animal. And that's quite a challenge to, to load up a 185-pound animal into a vehicle, take it to a school, and, uh, and do presentations. It would take three or four people just to lift the crates up into the vehicle, and then you always had to have extra people on the vehicle for safety, and then uh, three or four people to get the, the animal off the vehicle when you, uh, when you get to your presentation. So, yes, I worked with him. His name was Phantom, a beautiful animal, for about two years. And it was just after Phantom got a little bit too old and a little bit too aggressive. He wasn't enjoying the traveling too much anymore that uh, I fortunately met birds. Ah, okay. And, and was it through that experience that you got involved with the Bird Trainers Organization? Yes. I, the way I approach anything that I do in my life is I do some research to find out what's the best way of moving forward. And uh, when I found myself working, I quote, working with birds, I, uh, I realized that I probably wasn't doing things quite the way they could best be done. And I did some research. I found IAATE, and I, I uh, actually, I, I wrote to a, I think it was the Bird Keepers Listserv, which was going some years ago, probably not in, in its current incarnation. And uh, a member of IAATE wrote to me and said, you need to join IAATE. Uh, you need to go and see the World Bird Sanctuary and Steve Martin and get in their workshops. And that was the beginning of the, the journey of avian training where I have met some wonderful mentors. Well, and, and in all the years that I've been going to the Bird Trainers Conference, I feel like you've been at almost all of them. So it's been quite a while now that you've been participating in that, right? Yes. I, I, my first IAATE conference was in Memphis. I'm not sure what year that was now. I don't know either. No, it, it's been a while ago. A long time ago. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And just a fun little memory of that conference we were just having is that the fire alarms went off, and we were all like on the 25th floor. Yeah, and it and was like 3 in the morning, <laughs> and, and we had to climb down <laughs> how many flights of stairs. I remember my, my thighs ached after that. Yes, and strangely, here we are on the 27th floor. <laughs> yes, a little secret for you all. We're not in a studio. We're in a hotel room on the 27th floor in, uh, in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. So there you go. This is where the magic happens, right? Yes, this is it. <laughs> so anyway, um, but now you've been in that uh, in this organization for a long time, and you're actually going to be the next president. Yes. Uh, our, the reason that we're here in Cincinnati is this is our mid-year board meeting, and what we do is have our mid-year board meeting in the location of our next annual international conference. Mm -hmm. So in, in February of uh, 2009, we'll be back here in the same hotel with uh, probably a couple of hundred of our members. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the conference, so I'm yeah. looking forward to that. And, yeah. and it's at the end of that conference uh, when I will take over the role of president for yeah. a couple of years. But quite a journey from somebody who just had a little bit of interest and then spent the time yes. and and got very involved with the organization and did a lot of work, you know, working on the website and things mm -hmm. like that to help get this organization looking a bit more professional. And yeah, well, a lot, a lot of people I, I see it all the time on the on the Yahoo groups who 
ask, well, how, how do I learn to do this? How can I find a mentor? How can I do what you do? And, and, and there's no easy answer other than you've got to spend the time. I, I've traveled at great expense often all over the world and uh, just you know, like doing a senior, senior level internship, you clean up the mess and you stand and you watch the pros how they work and you learn. And that's the only way. You, it's, it can't be done through pure book learning or pure internet or mm. video. Right. You have to get your hands on the animals with yeah. someone who knows what they're doing. That's yeah. my opinion. I, no, I agree with you. I think the mentor thing is, is huge. And I know from my own career, I've, I've been fortunate to work for and with a lot of fabulous, experienced professionals who, who taught me so much. And that, I think, far exceeds anything that I got from any book or video or, yes. or chat group. And I think it's one thing that, just to talk about IAATE a little bit more, it's one thing that sets IAATE apart from many other organizations, mm-hmm. is that it is a very giving, sharing. It, b- the formal aspects of bird training are relatively new. They're based upon long-standing science, but their application to birds is relatively new. And so there's a lot of people who are very inspired to share that knowledge and to raise the standards. So I think that's, that's really what makes IWT special for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a member of other organizations before that, and there just wasn't the level of sharing that I see in this one. Yep, we're definitely a friendly group. <laughs> um, but what we didn't find out about is your, what you do now with Avian Ambassadors, because you right. started your own um, educational programs. Yes, what happened was I, I got to a point with my, uh, my wildlife park experience where I found that I was becoming more and more frustrated in that I didn't feel they were going in the direction that I thought they could go and, and, and maximizing the potential of the animals that they had. And also I wanted to, I wanted to raise the quality of the presentations. Coming from a, an entertainment background, you know, if you go and see a musical, we talked earlier about The Lion King, you go and see that, the, the production quality is incredibly high. And part of the reason for starting Avian Ambassadors was to try and create a company that would present high-quality, rich content show, not just standing with a bird and talking about it, but having some entertainment value. Because it's my philosophy that if you can entertain someone and you can make them laugh and you can engage them, then you've opened up the opportunity to educate them subtly as well. And they don't even realize that you're doing it. So that was the reason for starting Avian Ambassadors, which was in... Uh, actually, the decision was taken at an IAATE conference in 2003 in uh, Portland, Oregon, wow. in the hospitality suite. <laughs> that means there was probably some alcohol involved. There was alcohol involved, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, tell us about some of the animals in your collection that go out and educate the public. Okay, I, Another part of my philosophy is, and simply stated, is no passengers. So we only acquire animals, birds in this case, which we have a plan within our show. We don't acquire lots and lots and lots of animals. So right now, uh, we have just four birds that we have in our show. We had five. Unfortunately, we lost a bird earlier this year. Um, Got taken ill very quickly, and we lost him. Um, we have a fifth bird on the way. It's out of the egg, but it hasn't arrived yet. Um, and it will be the first parrot in the Avian Ambassadors cast of characters. Uh, we have three raptors, and we have a pied crow, and we, have, uh, we will have a yellow-naped Amazon. Very nice. Coming from uh, one of our favorite breeders, Wendy Craig from exactly. wendysparrots.com. I'll throw a little plug in there for her. And then that's, that's important. That's important because, uh, again, part of my philosophy is, is having the right bird to suit the job. 
and uh, we were talking earlier about you know selecting the candidate and uh, having having a bird that is that's gregarious was the word that I use because we don't have a location that people come to visit. We load our birds on our show up into a vehicle and we drive to a new location for every show. So the very first time they see a location is when they come out of their crates to do their behaviors. So we need calm, well-socialized, gregarious birds. And that was the major, major reason for going to Wendy. And also she understands raising birds that are prepared for free flight. Mm, Yeah, definitely. I can't recommend her enough, but I I have to say I think people have to get on a waiting list these days. You mentioned something about uh, flying your birds in different locations all the time, and and there was a recent question on my Yahoo group Mm. about that because people were concerned about, uh, you know, do they have to train their birds to fly everywhere? or Basically, how do you do that? That was the question, I'd say. Yes, yes. My approach, I really don't see free flight as any different to any other behavior. The, The principles involved in training free flight or training tricks, parlor tricks of birds are all the same. That if you want to have your bird perform a behavior in many different locations, then you need to generalize that behavior into those locations. Um, a prime example of, of, of the need for this is the I have a pied crow in my collection. And crows have an interesting uh, personality in that they're ultimately curious and they're also terrified of anything new. Probably, you've probably seen the same thing yes, many times. Many times. Many times. So I think it's like crate training can be like the biggest challenge in yes. the whole world, even though this, it's in by many standards a very easy bird to train because they learn so quick. Yes, yes. So I, I think the pied crow is probably above and beyond the challenge that parrots offer I would agree. in terms of generalizing behaviors. And the approach that I took, first of all, is that you need to set aside time. You need to work with the bird at least. I'd, initially with Kumbi, who's my pied crow, I worked four or five time training sessions a day. Only five or ten minutes at a time, but four or five times a day. Just to get him focused on what the behavior was that I wanted him to do, which ultimately was free flight. And then I manipulate the environment for him so that the the minimum amount changes. When we move from location to location, it may seem to us as we walk into a big room that, my goodness, this is a totally different environment. But for him, every day he gets, even if we're working just outside the, the, the flight he lives in, he gets to have his telemetry put on, he gets to go into his crate, he gets carried out to where we're going to work. So everything is as close to the show situation as I can possibly make it. And the only thing that changes is where he does it. But if we always had the backdrops there, the same perches are there, that's what I found gave him the confidence. Because when I first started this and I took him, I worked him in my office and I worked him on the porch, the first few days of working on my porch, if I had a chair in a different place, the behavior was totally gone, completely gone, no recall, nothing. Within a couple of weeks of working through with the same routine, so he knew what was expected of him. I found that he could he now goes anywhere. Just just yesterday, we were we were performing at a uh, public library in the village where I live, and we had 150 people in the complete open air. He'd never seen the place, and he performed perfectly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the exciting part is that next Wednesday he's making an appearance in a movie where we're doing a movie shoot next Wednesday. He's going to save the save the hero of the movie. Oh, nice! Again, he gets to be a hero. He gets to be a hero. But again, the, the important thing is we we're. We try and manipulate the environment so that the minimum changes. As you said, with the crate training, everything 
as consistent and as constant as we can get it. You're basically only changing one criteria. You're yes. trying to work on one criteria at a time, which is a new environment, yes. so that, that yes. everything else remains constant, yes. which is a smart approach to training. It, but it certainly worked with him. It certainly worked with him. And on the occasions when we were first traveling, we've, he's been traveling now for four years. Um, he was one of the first birds that we had in the collection, and uh, he's pretty confident in most situations. There's very, very rarely we see any startle responses at all. Mm-hmm. Initially, we saw some. Uh, fortunately, we were working in gymnasiums, and he would do some large circle flights until he was exhausted because he had startled. Mm-hmm. But gradually, over time, nothing bad happening to him and always being, being able to get back to his, his constant, which is the trainer, He's now really, really solid as a as a performer. Right, and and having those other parts consistent, like you mentioned, the the routine, the kenneling, yes. the the props, and things like that. Yes. So he has some familiar things yeah. to work with. Yeah, Very I'll good. give an example on on crate training as to how how he's just unbelievable on crate training. We did a show last week in Arizona, which is a five hour drive from our base. So he was crated for six hours to set six or seven hours before we got to do the show. Uh, he came out of his crate on the on the stage, did his show segment and his exit segment as he flies back to his crate, opens the door and goes in on his own. Mm-hmm. And he did that, mm-hmm. knowing probably in his own mind he was going to spend another six or seven hours in that crate going home. Yeah. But he was willing and and engaged in the performance. He just did it. Well, and I, I think that's sometimes I think people don't realize that when you really have a great solid foundation of training with positive reinforcement on a behavior, those birds can't wait to do the behavior. I love seeing birds dive into kennels because it is the happiest place on the planet mm-hmm. for them, but that's about good training. You shouldn't be in a position where you're having to wrestle and struggle to get the bird in the crate. If that's the situation, then you need to go back in your yes. training and start all over and make sure that all of it is is voluntary on the bird's part and that he gets reinforced for those baby steps. I, I, I have I video almost all of my training sessions, at least when we're training a new behavior. And I went back and looked at some of the early video of Kumbi with his crate training, and it was a crate about two or three times the size of the one he travels in now. And it's almost like watching a different bird mm-hmm. because I couldn't even walk him towards the crate on my hand that he would just fly away. Wow, so big difference and, big and difference. lots of work there, though, to yes. get him to a place yes. where it's a really good thing. But that's what it takes, you know, it takes takes going it through those time. baby steps. Time and yeah. commitment, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking we're probably at a point where we should take a little break. Okay. And um, and we'll take about a couple-minute break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a little break, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk to Sid a little bit more. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. 
A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your hosts Barbara Heidenreich and Robin Shawokas, who happens to be off this week, but in her place, I've got special guest Sid Price. So one thing that Sid's got going that a lot of you have probably heard about is his new blog on training. Mm. So tell us a little bit about the blog, the inspiration behind it, and what kind of content you have on your blog. The inspiration for the blog was that I, I, I spent probably the best part of a couple of years being an active member of several Yahoo groups to do mostly with free flight training. And I became extremely disenchanted with them, uh, mostly because... Uh, it, it didn't seem to be a place where, where one could present a philosophy, a training style, or even the science of training without challenges and discussion, and the discussions would wander off into oblivion, and the whole point of the discussion gets lost. So I wanted a place where, to be honest, I could, I could state what I believe is the way to train birds and, uh, and also provide a, a point where if someone has a question, a general question. I, I do not answer specific training questions like how do I do this specifically. So if you want to talk about crate training, I did write a blog about crate training, you know, my approach to that. So it was a place for me to, first of all, express what I believe were the important aspects of training, the science of, of training and behavior, and also a place to comment on things that I saw in the Yahoo groups or that now these days I find people are forwarding emails to me and they're saying, have you, have you read this? Have you seen this? And that provides a little bit of inspiration for me to write and say what I think about those situations without the, um, the endless backwards and forwards and circular discussions which really, I believe, only serve to confuse the naive reader, someone who's coming new to a list and, and they see what looked like four or five people who appear to know what they're talking about, disagreeing violently about things, didn't seem to me to be a positive way of, of promoting what I believe is the, the, the correct way of training, which is to apply the science, which is well-founded. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things that, that is particularly um, uh, nice reading in your blog is that you do always bring it back to the science. So there's a real strong educational component there for people who are just looking for some information, but it's all also based in the, in the science. So they're not getting, in my opinion, misinformation or anecdotal stuff or, I mean, you can use an anecdote, but you yes. back it up with the science. And also, um, we've discussed this before um, about people making up terminology for things that already exist in the science. Yes. So like people are making up a new name for something um, and, and splashing it all over the internet like this new discovery, whereas it all goes back to the science and your blog's a nice place to, to help people raise awareness on that kind of stuff. Yes, the most recent blog that I wrote addresses that in fact, that, that one of the most important aspects of training is communication and consistent communication. And that's not only true from the trainer to the subject, it's especially true from trainer to trainer or trainer to student trainer. That if, if, we're, if we're using words that, it's unfortunate that some of the words in, in, in behavioral science come with a lot of emotional baggage. Mm -hmm. And we need, to, we need to be able to use those words in their scientific context so that we can communicate accurately because they're, they are very well defined. Yeah, well, and even today I gave a, a workshop here in Cincinnati and, you know, 
even when you say the word punishment, yes. it automatically is like, oh, it's punishment, you know. But but there's positive punishment and there's negative punishment, yes. and there's sometimes an application of negative punishment that isn't about hurting animals or doing anything aversive it's just about removing that valued reinforcer yes. to decrease the behavior yes. and, but you're right it carries a lot of emotional baggage yes. if you don't really understand what that means what it looks like in practical application exactly exactly yeah so but i i appreciate your blog <laughs> <laughs> very much <laughs> getting good information out there um, well, and we mentioned a little bit about um, about free flying. Uh, you mentioned uh, participating in some of the chat groups, and and people chat a little bit about flight on my my group, although um, not not quite so much. Um, but I know you're a big believer in trying to um, just make sure people are doing it right. I guess yes. you know, and I know right's yes. very subjective. What's right? What's wrong? But but it's a very delicate subject, and there's a lot of risk involved. Yes. Um, so. I'm one of those believers that your job, if you are going to fly birds outside, is to reduce risk as much as possible. Yes, I, I, I think that on many occasions people undertake free-flying their birds for the wrong reasons. Mm. Um, you, you really, first of all, have to, have to ask yourself, why do I want to free-fly this bird? What outdoor? And I'm talking about outdoors. I'm yeah, not talking could, about indoor flying. We probably should define that. So free yes. flight, the way that most people are comfortable using it, it means that you're flying your bird outside, yes. not in any enclosure. Yes. No strings attached. So no strings, speak. literally. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. so you have to ask yourself why you're doing it. Um, and I know quite a few people who, and one or two I've had the pleasure to have met, who are doing excellent job of doing that. You know, they're, they're they are actually free flying their companion parrots on beaches and in parks and, and doing it very, very well. Uh, it takes, first of all, a, a very heavy commitment of time. I've, I've seen people say, well, no, just get yourself, a, get yourself a new hatchling, you know, raise the baby and off you go. You, you'll be flying that bird as soon as it can fly. You may well be. But you may not get it back. <laughs> you may not get it back. Oh, you, you may get it back until it's a little older, you know, and yeah. it's not so totally dependent upon you. I mean, yeah. you... You, you even even getting as I am getting in a few weeks, you know, a, a young bird from the breeder. The first thing to be doing is to be establishing a good positive relationship with the bird, so the bird wants to be with you, wants to participate. And I'm not talking about a, a heavy, heavy, heavy bond. I'm talking about training the bird that mm -hmm. that you know, from their behavior comes reward, and the reward is a good thing. Mm -hmm. it, that's probably more important to me than anything is that people understand that it. There are, there are shortcuts. There are shortcuts to getting birds out and flying. And some of the groups that I've been involved in have, for instance, overly focused, I believe, on, on weight management, mm -hmm. restricting diet to the, to the extent that the bird really is below the weight that it should be at. Um, it's pretty much with parrots unnecessary. I have to agree with you there. You know, it's it's one of the things, especially in the last maybe six years or so of, of um, you know, even though I've been training birds for much longer than that, I've really had a chance to experiment a lot with um, creating motivation in different ways. And I'm at the stage now where, to me, weighing a bird and weighing a diet is pretty much my last resort and I almost never use that as a strategy to train anymore yes. because I just find it's not necessary um, to get to where yeah, I need to get to. My, my, certainly with the raptors that I fly, I, th I think the weight control, weight management is probably more critical mm -hmm. than when you're flying, uh, flying non-raptor species. Raptors being birds of prey. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you're right. 
the the problem that I see with uh, with the total focus on the scale is that it really distracts you from where your focus should be, which is on the behavior. Mm-hmm. It, it may be that you're feeding your bird too much, that it's too high in weight to get the behavior that you're looking for, but you shouldn't be looking to the scale to tell you that. You should be looking at the behavior. Yeah. And, and also, mostly, we, we don't really need to be withholding large amounts of food, but manipulating access to food is probably at the level of motivation that most companion bird owners require. They don't need to be carefully weighing the last gram of food and making sure that the bird weighs just the right amount Mm -hmm. every day. I don't think that's necessary. But to be to be controlling the flow of food so the bird works for food. I I see nothing wrong with a bird having to work for its food. Right and it's and it could be as simple as instead of putting your bird's breakfast in the bowl you have your training session using that breakfast. Right. And uh, and if there's any leftover you know you dump it in there and he gets to snack on that and hopefully he finishes that before your next training session and then he's ready to go again. But I mean there's so many different ways you can mess with how you deliver food and what food you offer in terms of like type food types I should say um, to create motivation that I, the thing that always cracks me up about the, the the scale thing is I always think well shoot even if I weigh five pounds more than I do now I'll be hungry at some point so yes. I, it's, it, the, the numbers on the scale yes. don't necessarily indicate my level of interest yeah. in food right. you know so um, you know and you don't have to wait for me to lose weight for me to get hungry so yeah. so that's I agree with you definitely that watching that behavior is an important skill yeah. and learning how to do that well is really what gets you farther and I think more in touch with your bird in many ways I think so I think so yes it gives you the, the right focus which mm-hmm. is the behavior rather than the wrong focus which is this physiological thing you're trying to measure which does not have really a direct correlation with what you're trying to achieve yeah. particularly I mean I see the whole motivation thing as a we talked briefly as a balance mm-hmm. and on one side of the balance are all the things that will cause the bird to perform the behavior and on the other side all the things that will cause the bird not to want to perform it and yes you can make food so powerful by withholding it that it will overcome many of the things on the not do it side of the scale side of the balance but whether that's the ethically right choice in my mind you know it it doesn't feel right to me I've actually taken birds I have one bird that I don't fly in my show it's a Eurasian eagle owl because in order to get her to fly I have to withhold food so severely to overcome her fear of being in that crowded new situation every day that I just don't feel comfortable doing it so she doesn't fly in the show anymore she's now almost free fed she gets to do a walk on and people are no less impressed when they see this six-pound, six-foot wingspread bird mm-hmm. right in front of them. You know, yeah. you, you really got to look at the bird, choose the behavior that best suits the bird, and go down that route, at least from a professional show situation. And, and if you're, if you're a, a companion parrot owner who has had this 15- or 20-year-old bird that's been clipped all its life, I'm not sure it's the ethically right choice to be restricting diet in order to encourage it to fly. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, that's uh, it's basically you were choosing the right candidate f- and the right behavior for your show. Yes. And I think when we're looking at something as, um, something as, you know, as risky basically as free flight, that for me, I'm always looking for the perfect candidate. I, and I know it's tough for parrot owners because you may only have this one bird and that's the bird you're going to yes. have for the rest of your life. And, and you may think, boy, I sure want to fly him. But in reality, the work 
involved and as you're saying there may be this sort of compromising of your training ethics in order to get where you yes. think you need to go you know is that really is that trade-off really worth it is that that what you that perceived benefit of free flight better um than what you might put that bird through and it's and that and to me i think there's plenty of times when a bird lives a a, a very enriched healthy life even if it's not flying outside um, or even not even flying in your home you know yes. so so we you know we can look for other creative ways to get that bird exercising whether it's a lot of climbing or or those kinds of ropes that hang down so that the bird can hang on it and flap and spin around there's and you know watching what kind of diet you feed so that that bird's not overweight and not and you know being a perch yeah. potato so and, and and robin you know presents some great ideas if, if you're looking to to make your bird a, what you may perceive a happier bird then there are many, many things you can do, as Robin has outlined in previous shows, mm -hmm. to enrich the, the environment that the bird lives in without having to put it at risk. Not to say that you cannot train a previously clipped bird for free flight. It can be done. Sure. It, it takes a higher level of skill from the trainer if they're to do it in an ethical manner, but it, it can be done. And it does take work. And you, it takes you know, work, you yes. mentioned. Uh, not by name, but but Raz is one of the ones yes. who who has uh, worked with her bird, uh, Carly Lou, yep. uh, African Gray, and you can you can read a story about her in Good Bird Magazine, and I think uh, Raz also has that that link up on her website or on her uh, her blog. But you can get to her blog via my blog because or mine or or Sid's, okay, because yeah. yep. I can't remember uh, Raz's. Uh, address right off the top of my head but you can definitely get there through either one of our blogs and read more about Carly Lou who Raz put a lot of work into yes so she was very committed and dedicated and still is to that bird's training so um so we could probably talk about flight training for an an hour to 20 hours I don't know we go on forever <laughs> we don't we don't get to have that much time so but um one thing that uh, people might not know is that if they go to your website, they can sign up to be a recipient of your newsletter. Yes, we, we publish a newsletter. It, it's technically a monthly one it, it, because of this time of the year is the show season and we're extremely busy. Uh, it tends to be a little bit longer than that, but it's a newsletter which we put together, which just is news of what Avian Ambassadors is doing. But also, I like to include in there news stories that I've collected from around the world about endangered species one of my one of my passions is the california condor i absolutely love vultures and i've been following the california condor recovery project for some years now so if there's any news at all about them i include links to their stories um and you can sign up for it by going to the website avianambassadors.com and there's a sign up form there uh just like uh, your mailing list we don't share our mailing list with anyone we use it only for our own purposes so go along to the website. And that's also on the homepage of the website. There's a link to the blog as well. And we need to mention that when you, if you want to get to the blog, though, you yes. have to do something special, right? Yes, it's avianambassadors.com slash bird training, capital B, capital T, bird training. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that way they'll get there. Yes. And, and if you're not familiar with web technology, so you don't know how to subscribe to blogs, we also have a sign-up where you can get an email. We'll send you an email when the blog gets updated. Again, this time of the year, it's not updated as often as it is in the winter when we are looking for things to do with our time because we're off doing shows as often as we can. And and are there some shows coming up here where people might be able to see you in action, I, I, or are they private events, though? Most of our shows are private events. In okay. fact, the last two we've done have been the, the, the only public events of this year. We were... Uh, invited back to a beautiful golf club in Arizona, in Sholo, Arizona, last weekend. 
And the golf club does a great job. They provide uh, free entertainment for the local community once a year. So we were there. And we were also we did a promotional event for our local library. It was the final day of their summer reading program. So all the kids, we had 150 kids, I think it was, from toddlers up to 9 or 10 years old at a show yesterday, in fact, just before I flew here. Oh, <laughs> and we had uh, an interesting day, an interesting day. We had, a, we had one of our birds fly away. Well, I assume that means he came back. (laughs) It was spectacular. She made a beautiful flight all around the village and came back to where we were. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And that was in a new environment, right? That was a brand new environment, yes. Yeah, that's what some good training will do for you, right? Indeed, yep. Good, very good. Well, Sid, thank you for spending some time with me here. It's my pleasure. And all the listeners out there. And uh, we'll be sure to make sure you visit uh, Sid's websites, uh, avianambassadors.com, and to go to his his blog, avianambassadors.com backslash... Bird training with a capital B and yep. a capital T. That's it. All right. We'll talk to him a little bit later then. Hopefully we'll have him back. On to the upcoming events. On September 27th, I'll be in Las Vegas, Nevada, teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop. It's hosted by the Southern Nevada Parrot Education Rescue and Rehoming Society. You can find more information at lvbirdrescue.com. October 3rd through 5th, I'll be just outside of Denver, Colorado at the Gabriel Foundation. There'll be a parrot behavior and learning workshop for the veterinary professional. This includes myself, Dr. Susan Friedman, Dr. Jerry Labondi, and Dr. Lori Hess. October 11th is the Long Island Parrot Society Parrot Expo. This runs from 9 to 5, has a great variety of vendors, and Robin Shuokas will be speaking on Enriching Your Parrot's Lives. On November 1st, I'll be in Shreveport, Louisiana, teaching a day-long parrot behavior and training workshop. And you can find more information on that at acbc.net. And then in November, on the 8th and the 9th, we'll be having a parrot training and enrichment weekend in Austin, Texas. You can find more information on that at goodbirdinc.com. You can also uh, download a form to sign up, or you can sign up straight from the website. Also on the calendar for next year, I've got April 18th and 19th in Toronto, Canada with Susan Friedman. I'll be um, participating in a parrot behavior and training workshop that's being hosted by uh, parrotworkshops.org. You can find more information there on uh, that newly announced seminar. I'll have more details down the road, but I'll be in Europe in May for 2009. So if you're uh, one of our international listeners, be sure to mark your calendars. At the moment, it looks like we've got Finland, France, and Portugal on the uh, calendar for that. And then, of course, on May 29th through 31st is the Best Parrot Conference, Behavior Enrichment Science and Training, and that'll be held in Edison, New Jersey. And you can find more information on that at bestparrotconference.com. So some other websites we'd like you to visit. Don't forget to visit Sid Price's website at avianambassadors.com. And uh, if you add a backslash and a capital B for bird training and a capital T for training, you can get to his blog. And my blog is at goodbirdinc.blogspot.com, website goodbirdinc.com. Robin's website is theleatherelves.com. And some interesting reading for you. We know that Sid's a big fan of people sticking to the science, as I am as well. And there's some good websites that have some more information on the terminology and, um, and the principles behind learning theory. So we've got uh, wagontrain.com, and that's W-A-G-N-T-R-A-I-N.com. Susan Friedman, you heard us mention quite a bit. Susan Friedman's a um, behavior analyst and uh, really knows her science, and you can find more information 
about her work at BehaviorWorks.org, and um, you can find a link there to all her articles, which um, are on the Gabriel Foundation website, but the link is at BehaviorWorks.org. And one of my favorite resources is the the Cambridge Center for Behavioral Studies. This great website has um, a variety of definitions for the terms in behavior analysis, and so you kind of get a little different perspective, but they all kind of come back to the same same meaning there, and that's at behavior.org. For my training tip of the week, I want to make sure your training resources are based in the science of behavior analysis. Look for resources that have a clear understanding of the behavior analysis principles. With that, we are out of time. We've got some more topics on the horizon, training and enrichment made easy. Hopefully we'll do something on baby parrots and body language and maybe some sexual behavior in parrots, Um, boarding your companion parrot, what's the best way to get your bird taken care of when you're on vacation, maybe some myths, and of course we'll touch on foraging too. So if you have suggestions or questions, please contact us at robin at petliferadio.com or barbara at petliferadio.com. And if you'd like a transcript of the show, please visit petliferadio.com. See you next time. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.